Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Caffeinate for Monday, April the 9th, 2018. I am your host, Samuel Adams, and welcome to the show. If you're watching live on YouTube right now, I do welcome you. Uh, We've been changing around the way that the program is distributed here in the mornings in the live format, and I decided to go ahead and put regular live streams over on Mixer.com slash Samuel Adams, and then put the rest of the news here on YouTube.com slash Samuel Adams Media. And then if you want to watch it live, you can put a slash live uh, after that URL. But essentially, we're just kind of figuring out exactly how we want things to go. And it's going very well so far. So I'm pretty excited about that. It's going to be a fantastic week for Caffeinate. Of course, we're going to still be uploading to Anchor. We're going to still be putting out uh, different kinds of content from the show. So if you've been enjoying it in another way, shape, or form, then by all means, go ahead and keep enjoying it that way. Because mainly, nothing is really going to be changing. It's just going to be a slightly different form format for the live version of the show. Uh, With that being said, we'll go ahead and dive into the news that we have today. It's been kind of a slow news weekend, surprisingly enough, because you would think that there will be some significant stuff going on with PAX, but there wasn't that much news coming out of it. Uh, For those that don't know what PAX is, it is the uh, Penny Arcade Expo, which is essentially uh, kind of like E3 in a way, but essentially it's just showing off all of the major new games. So there isn't really much to talk about aside from the fact that some pretty significant games are going to be coming out. Some indie devs are showing off what they've been working on, etc., etc., So it's kind of hard to get news from that. It's all mainly just talking about what is going on within the world of gaming. Um, And I suppose we'll see more about those games in 73, which I'm incredibly excited about. And I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate uh, Anchor.fm into the E3 content that we do make. So that should be pretty interesting to see. I think we'll have a good time with that. But, um, of course, thank you for watching and uh, and listening along with me if you're listening in podcast form after the fact. If you enjoy the show, then please drop me a rating on whatever uh, kind of platform you may be using. If you want to come back and listen to another episode of Caffeinate, I will be overwhelmingly, you know, uh, honored to have you back. But without further ado... Let's go ahead and jump into the first topic of the day, which is the fact that Logan Paul conducted his first Twitch stream last night, uh, and it started with obscene imagery in the chat and massive, massive trolling, which is pretty much the only thing that I saw worth talking about. Uh, so this story comes to us from Polygon's Julia Alexander, somebody I actually talked to yesterday on Twitter uh, whenever I reached out and said, and I believe I quote, the only thing more entertaining than watching Logan Paul struggle with a Twitch stream is seeing how Julia actually comments on it. Um, so... Let's go ahead and dive into it. The notorious YouTuber Logan Paul is currently streaming his first Fortnite match on Twitch, but it only took a few minutes for his chat to become overrun by trolls. Paul started streaming around 5.10 p.m. Eastern Time and was immediately met with obscene messages in his chat. Drawings made look like male genitalia spammed the chat within minutes, causing his team to mute Paul's microphone and take care of the obscene imagery. There are so many dicks, one of his producers said on stream. We got spammed so fast, another said. Earlier on stream, Paul said he was going to alter the rules around his chat to only allow subscribers to comment. Uh, This was to promote a more positive chat space, Paul said. It's also very likely that Paul wants to build up his subscriber base on Twitch using his YouTube community uh, to build revenue off of the platform. Eventually, when I'm an affiliate, Paul says, the chat is going to be sub-only because it gets crazy. It's no surprise that Paul was met with trolling so quickly. The Twitch community uh, was divided when Paul first announced he was heading to the mainstream platform. His brother, Jake Paul, recently caused his own Twitch controversy after jumping on a Fortnite stream with Summit 1G, which is a completely and totally different uh, story in and of itself because that 
up with some major stuff as well. Uh, one of the most popular Twitch streamers reigniting the debate over normies invading Twitch because of Fortnite. Paul's channel seems to have been rated by fans of other popular streamers on Twitch known for their committed community's antics like Greek God X, I've never heard of him, and Forsen, of course, everyone's heard of Forsen. Uh, despite the trolling, Paul reiterated at the beginning of his stream multiple times that he wanted to foster a positive community. I encourage healthy chat, Paul said. I want to have a positive experience and I want us to have fun. Paul, like so many other YouTubers, joined Twitch to stream Fortnite, jumping on the bandwagon of the game's success. Other streamers like Tyler Ninja Belvins are making around $500,000 a month from streaming Fortnite, according to Belvins himself. Paul became the subject of global criticism after he uploaded a video to YouTube that featured the body of a man who committed suicide. His YouTube Red series was put on hold, and he lost his place in Google Preferred as a result. Paul took three weeks away from YouTube and returned to even more criticism after continuing with his disturbing antics, including tasing a dead rat. Paul peaked at 200,000 concurrent viewers at the time of this writing. So... Uh, this is an incredibly interesting kind of crossroads uh, that we have with online culture right now. Obviously, over the course of the past, I would say six months to eight months, uh, and of course longer back than that, but the main bulk of the uh, the crossover that I've seen has occurred within the past year at least. Uh, but many, many YouTubers are beginning to kind of branch out and come over to Twitch as a form of supplemental income. And this is obviously because of the um, the advertising debacle that's been going on for about the past year or so, where advertisers have had trouble uh, monetizing YouTube as a platform because of the controversial content that has become a spotlighted media topic. Uh, it is definitely a huge issue for YouTubers who are small creators who depend on this money to continue creating and to support themselves in their lives. Uh, but more so, advertisers are focused on the fact that big, huge names like this are becoming very controversial subjects in the media, like Logan Paul with his uploads about the YouTube suicide forest, uh, as it has become known now. Uh, and also with his brother Jake Paul and his antics and the uh, the kind of social distortion that they've created uh, over in their neck of the woods, obviously their neighbors. Uh, the first the news story that I remember hearing about Logan Paul and Jake Paul is the fact that I believe the, tem the Team Ten House, is that what it's called? I, I don't watch these people, uh, but I believe the, ten the Team Ten House was... Um, causing a ruckus in their neighborhood and so they ended up going ahead and uh and people were filing complaints and there was a big issue around it it was quite interesting to say the least but with that being said um i thought that it was uh worth talking about here because twitch is such a uh a hive of of positivity that the one thing that does stand out in this entire quoted paragraph here is that um is that I'm a, I encourage a healthy chat, Paul said. I want to have a positive experience, and I want us to have fun. If that is his true goal, if that is the drive and the and the goal for the uh, for the for the experience that he wants to have on Twitch overall, then there's nothing really wrong with that. You know, you can judge the man all you want for the fact that he has you know made bad choices in the past. You can judge him over the fact uh, that he has made some controversial decisions that have definitely impacted his career in the long run. Uh, but when it comes down to it, the fact that he is over there. Trying to encourage healthy chats and trying to be a positive influence on the platform is a step in the right direction. Now, am I going to completely and totally write him off and say that everything he does is fine, you know, and that he's going to be a good guy from now on? No. You know, that would be ridiculous to expect uh, Logan Paul himself to become some kind of, of pinnacle of positivity. He's not going to become the ninja of Twitch now, or the ninja of YouTube even, where he is a positive influencer on the platform. That's not going to happen. Uh, what is potentially going to happen is that later on down the line, as, as things begin to change, he could grow as a person and make better content that is going to be more positive for his community. Because whether we like to admit it or not, uh, there are a lot of younger kids online, which is something we'll talk about in, I believe, uh, a couple of stories from now, which is going to be pretty interesting. 
but there are a lot of younger kids online and a lot of younger kids watch Logan's content, especially when you combine Logan Paul with Fortnite that is just asking for a younger audience. And so you have to kind of, you know, conduct yourself in a certain way. You have to become a better kind of person when especially, you know, obviously always be a good person. Uh, but when it comes down to it, whenever you're dealing with kids and younger and younger audiences, you have to be a positive influence to make sure that you aren't harming the next generation of whatever, you know, population you're reaching. And so, with that being said, it'll be interesting to see how Logan Paul's Twitch streams do end up going, and also what he ends up making on the platform revenue-wise. Obviously, that may not be something we ever find out, uh, but it would be incredibly interesting to compare something like Logan Paul's success on Twitch to Ninja's success on Twitch, which is organic versus kind of crossover. Uh, And with that being said... Uh, I suppose we will see how this one goes as time goes on, but certainly yesterday uh, there was a lot of controversy, especially considering uh, Logan Paul streaming on Twitch and also Jake Paul uh, contacting Summit 1G and playing with him because Summit has definitely faced a lot of controversy over the course of the past few days and actually weeks. He's been ridiculed endlessly. Uh, so thoughts go out to him and uh, and best of luck to everyone. You know, I want everyone to be able to succeed online and I want everyone to be good influencers in the online community and in the world overall. That's ultimately the goal. Uh, moving on to this another, this next story. I didn't expect this one. Uh, PAX East 2018 Final Fantasy XV Shadow of the Tomb Raider collaboration announced, which is a pretty major story, actually. Uh, this is coming to us from Andrew Goldfarb over there at IGM. During a panel at PAX East today, Square Enix announced that a collaboration between Final Fantasy XV and Shadow of the Tomb Raider is on the way. A single image shown at the end of the panel teased the news, but no other information was revealed other than that it's, quote, coming soon. Uh, Final Fantasy XV is no stranger to collaborations, recently adding Assassin's Creed outfits and Half-Life pack on PC in recent months. Shadow of the Tomb Raider was officially announced last month, with more information and a full reveal expected on April the 27th. So, with this, my speculation is that we aren't going to be seeing any kind of information based around this uh, for at least maybe six months. Uh, Whenever the game does come out, obviously, Shadow of the Tomb Raider uh, isn't supposed to come out until, I believe, sometime this October, perhaps. Um, But whenever that game does hit the market and whenever people start, you know, talking about it, I think that's when we're going to be seeing some crossover news. Uh, It's very cool to see what Square Enix is doing by extending the life of... Final Fantasy 15 by adding more content that is crossover material from other platform or uh, other franchises, excuse me. I think that's a really uh, innovative way of extending the life of a of a title because Final Fantasy 15 obviously is a major major game that continues to get updates and continu- continues to get new content and will ca- forever evolve. Uh, but to see Shadow of the Tomb Raider getting some uh, collaboration stuff is a pretty cool thing. But I really have nothing else to say. I thought that I would go ahead and mention that. Uh, we're going to be getting more information on April the 27th. So expect some more information on Caffeinate for April the 28th. And uh, and we can get back into this story. But I did want to mention it here because people care about Final Fantasy. You know, I'm not a huge fan of it. It's not necessarily my kind of thing. But with that being said, it's something that I feel like is definitely a significant factor in the gaming universe overall. So it was worth mentioning here. Moving on to the next story coming to us again from IGN, uh, this time by Alex Osborne. Black Panther sinks Titanic to become the third highest grossing domestic film of all time. The Marvel Cinematic Universe movie has earned a whopping $1.29 billion worldwide. Black Panther is on pace to surpass the domestic box office total of James Cameron's Titanic this weekend and become the third highest grossing film of all time in North America. As reported by Deadline, the domestic total for Ryan Coogler's, I believe, uh, Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe movie reached 
10.3 million by the end of Friday, which, not accounting for inflation, puts it only slightly behind Titanic's 659.5 million haul. Uh, so essentially, they're writing this story because it was going to happen and it most likely did happen. Uh, as such, the film is said to eclipse Cameron's 1997 film today, Saturday, April 7th, and become the third highest grossing film ever at the domestic box office. Star Wars The Force Awakens and Avatar hold the number one and number two spots with respective hauls of 936.7 million and 760.5 million. Can you imagine that amount of money? Just imagine having a room full of dollar bills. And and in that room, there's a pile, uh, one pile on the left with 936.7 million dollars in it, and the other is 760.5 million. Can you imagine that? Can you just take that into consideration? Anyways, worldwide, Black Panther has earned a whopping $1.29 billion and currently stands as the 10th highest grossing film at the global box office. This film is just ahead of Frozen's $1.28 billion total and right behind Star Wars The Last Jedi's $1.33 billion worldwide haul. Ever since it was released in February, Black Panther has been breaking records left and right. The Marvel movie has the second largest second weekend ever at the domestic box office, unadjusted for inflation, as well as the highest grossing Tuesday in, in Marvel Cinematic Universe. What are these records? that they're talking about it's also now the top grossing superhero film of all time at the domestic box office uh so obviously black panther is doing incredibly well and i'm incredibly happy that the movie is getting the recognition it deserves uh now obviously for those that follow my content for those that like what i put out this is not something that i was ever you know going to be on board with i'm not really a big movies guy i'm not really a huge marvel cinematic universe kind of guy uh, i understand why people enjoy it i understand the build-up that has been behind this movie obviously uh, you have this giant universe that has been being built since essentially the first iron man came out uh, back uh, in the mid-2000s i believe and and every Marvel movie since then has essentially been building up to what we're getting with Avengers Infinity War, which is coming out in the middle of May, I think. Uh, something like that. Again, I'm not a big movies guy, but I'm sure we'll talk about it here on Caffeinate whenever it breaks every record of all time, because Infinity War is going to be insane. Um, though... With Black Panther, I will say uh, that it is a very impressive record. It is uh, a very impressive movie. And it's very cool because it seems to be a sense of identity in the media for um, for African Americans right now. Uh, because obviously there's a lot of controversy going on. And a lot of racial tension in America specifically. But Black Panther seems to be a place where both cultures can kind of meet. And, uh, and enjoy the movie equally because there is equal representation and also an equal level of entertainment. Uh, now, of course, that may just be my opinion. That may be something that I'm looking on. Uh, but it seems to be very cool that there is finally a, an accurate... Um, an accurate and a uh, and a dignified kind of representation of of the black community in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and in movies overall, uh, because it seems to be that there's always certain um, traits and certain characteristics that are shared within African American uh, characters within major movies and also television shows. And Black Panther kind of takes all of that away and makes them truly the the heroes in the same light as your white Captain America, your white Iron Man, whatever it may be, or your white Tony Stark. If you really want to get into it, uh, but but um, it's very cool to see the Black Panthers doing so well and also creating such a um, uh, kind of middle ground where all cultures can meet, all races can meet, and enjoy a movie uh, of this caliber. So, of course, again, that may just be my opinion. That may be something that uh, that you disagree with. But with that being said, you know, it's still selling 
by the bucketfuls of money. There is no doubting that. It is just doing so incredibly well. And so congratulations to the team over there behind Black Panther on absolutely crushing one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Titanic. You can take that to the bank. It's one of the best ones that has ever been made in the history of mankind. Moving along to the next story coming to us from Gizmodo. The new Solo, a Star Wars story trailer, sets the smuggler on a path to becoming a legend. Uh, This story is coming to us from Julie Muncy, and again over there at Gizmodo's io9. I'm not sure if that's like a subsidiary of Gizmodo, but you can find it over there. Uh, So, obviously I'm not going to be able to show the trailer for copyright purposes, but we will read through this. Uh, Though let's be honest, Han is a much better hero than he is a criminal. Still, the latest trailer for Solo, a Star Wars story, shows the moments in young Solo, Aiden Enrikenrek, whatever his name is, uh, life that put him on the path to being both. There's an appearance by a young Lando Clarissian, Donald Glover, a lovely blue-accented Millennium Falcon with all the upholstery still intact, and a 190-year-old Chewbacca. Check it out and much more in the new trailer down below. Announced for the first time way back in 2015, Solo initially featured Phil Lord and Christopher Miller as directors, though they departed the production during filming, where they were replaced by Ron Howard. The film, which also stars Woody Harrelson as Beckett, an older criminal and mentor to Han, and Amelia Clark as Quira, maybe? A childhood friend of Han's, is set for wide release on May 25th, 2018. It'll premiere 10 days earlier at the Keynes Film Festival. We have much more on the trailer Monday morning. Oh, and here's a new poster, too, and I kind of wanted to zoom out and show you guys this. Uh, very impressive, impressive uh, poster here. I really enjoy this kind of design. Maybe it's just me, but it really does strike me as something that's kind of dignified, and and it really does capture what I want with a uh, with a with a solo movie. Um, but with that being said. Uh, This movie is going to be another one of those record-breaking ones because it's the same kind of thing as Rogue One. And for those that don't know what I mean by that, Rogue One uh, was a very major uh, kind of uh, influential factor in how Star Wars movies are going to be evolving over time because obviously they're fleshing out the universe overall. They're changing a lot of stuff about the Star Wars cinematic universe. And so these stories, the Star Wars story uh, movies, are more so focused on telling the tales of specific people rather than this grand epic like you would get uh, from episode 3, from episode 4, 5, 6, whatever you want to call it, uh, any of those major mainline movies, this is kind of going to be something that's a little bit scaled back and also has a different kind of um, cinematic uh, flair to it. It has something that changes as compared to the mainline Star Wars movies. Now, I will say, uh, after you have gone and watched the the trailer, which I would recommend you do right now, we'll pause. Hello, welcome back. How was the trailer? Um, Whenever I was watching that trailer, it seemed more so to me like... Uh, something that didn't even feel like a Star Wars movie. I'm not super big into it. Um, obviously, I'm not a diehard Star Wars fan. I'm not somebody that's repping the brand 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But I will say uh, that the one thing I did love about the trailer is the fact that Donald Glover is pulling off Lando Clarissian so well. He is built for that role. He is born for that role. He is the perfect choice for that. And I am so incredibly glad that somebody that is a television actor, a movie actor, and on top of that, uh, one of the most talented music uh, talents, I guess, music stars, whatever you want to call it, of our time, I am so glad he found the time to put back uh, into the Star Wars series and to become Lando Clarissian as a young man. That is just the perfect fit. I can't, I can't begin to explain how amazing that is. Um, again, for those of you who have not seen this, I would highly recommend going and checking it out. It is stunning to see how Donald Glover takes on the roles that he takes on. He is one of the most talented individuals uh, of our day. He is the modern day 
uh, Da Vinci. He is, oh my God, well, not Da Vinci. You know, he doesn't invent things. But you know what? What well, he could probably. I don't know what he's capable of. Uh, that's all beside the point. Uh, getting back into it, the Star Wars story is going to be an okay movie, but Donald Glover is going to kill it. Um, so, best of luck to the team over there. I'm glad that they finally got the trailer out. I'm glad that we have some action. I'm glad that we have some designs. And I'm also glad to know that Chewbacca is over 190 years old. So, uh, you know, you learn a lot of things when you finally watch the trailers. Moving along to the next story, we have from The Guardian. YouTube illegally collects data on children, say child protection groups. Complaint filed with U.S. Watchdog urges sanctions for Google allegedly failing to comply with child protection laws around data collection and ads. Uh, Again, this story is coming to us from The Guardian, and I believe it's coming to us from, is there uh, a writer with this? An author, they say? Um, I don't see one, but again, you can check it out over at The Guardian. A coalition of 23 child advocacy, consumer, and privacy groups have filed a complaint with the U.S. Federal Trade Commission alleging that Google is violating child protection laws by collecting personal data of and advertising to those aged under the age of 13. The group, which includes the Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood, the Center for Digital Democracy, and 21 other organizations, alleges that despite Google claiming that YouTube is only for those age 13 and above, it knows that children under that age use the site. The group states that Google collects personal information on children under 13, such as location, device identifiers, and phone numbers, and tracks them across different websites and services without first gaining parental consent as required by the U.S. Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. Uh, The coalition urges the FTC to investigate and sanction Google for its alleged violations for years, Google has abdicated its responsibility to kids and families by disingenuously claiming YouTube, a site rife with popular cartoons, nursery rhymes, and toy ads, is not for children under 13. Uh, said Josh Golan, executive director of the CCFC. Google profits immensely when delivering kids ads and must comply with COPA. It's time for the FTC to hold Google accountable for its legal data collection and advertising practices. The group claims that YouTube is the most popular online platform for children in the U.S., used by about 80% of children aged 6 to 12 years old. Google has a dedicated app for children called YouTube Kids that was released in 2015 and is designed to show appropriate content and ads to children. It also recently took action to hire thousands of moderators to review content on the wider YouTube after widespread criticism that that it allows uh, violent and offensive content to flourish, including disturbing content, uh, children's content specifically, and child abuse videos. But the coalition says that's not enough. Jeff Chester of the Center for Digital Democracy said Google has acted duplicitously? Okay. Badly, I would say, uh, for for lack of a better word, uh, by falsely claiming in its terms of service that YouTube is only for those who are age 13 or older while it deliberately lured young people into an ad-filled digital playground. Just like Facebook, Google has focused its huge resources on generating profits instead of protecting privacy. The complaints state that among those popular YouTube channels on YouTube are those directed to children, including Choo Choo TV, Nursery Rhymes, and Kids Songs, with 15.9 million subscribers and more than 10 billion video views, and Little Baby Bum, with 14.6 million subscribers and 14 billion views. The coalition also states that Google's preferred advertising platform includes a, quote, parenting and family lineup in which major advertisers pay a premium to place ads. Uh, There is a 59-page FTC complaint, etc., etc. We can just kind of chill on that, but essentially what's going on here is that uh, people are finally realizing that YouTube understands uh, that there are people under the age of 13 on their site, and they feel compelled to go ahead and reach out and say YouTube has a social... Uh, they have a social responsibility to go ahead and pull those ads to make sure that kids are not, uh, you know, 
impacting and being impacted by malicious ads. Um, obviously, if you watch some of the advertisements on YouTube, there are some that are very uh, that are very raunchy. And on top of that, it's also against many, many morals to go ahead and advertise to kids. Um, though I kind of am on the fence about this because as somebody who grew up on YouTube, as somebody who uh, at the age of around 9, 10, 11, uh, I was watching YouTube content, I can confidently say uh, that it did impact the way that I turned out. It did impact how I am as a person, but it didn't necessarily negatively impact me uh, regardless. I think it's one of those things where you grow up a little bit faster uh, whenever you have become hardened to what's going on online. Though, with that being said, uh, YouTube should definitely be more clear about whenever they're collecting data around kill, uh, kids. You, you should definitely get uh, at least some kind of parent's permission. Though, it's very hard because... Um, when it comes to children using the platform, no one asks their mother to sign up for YouTube. No one asks if they can go online and watch a video. No one does that. I didn't do that when I was a kid. No one goes up and says, hey, mom, can I watch this? Can I watch this Call of Duty montage? Can I watch this Fortnite Epic Clips highlights reel from Twitch? Uh, no one does that. You just make an account, you do it, and you and you might even make an email if you're, if you're old enough to do that and understand that. Uh, though... Uh, I think it should definitely be included somewhere in the terms, if it isn't already, the terms of service, uh, that if you are under the age of 13, you have to get, you know, parents' permission. And I feel like that line right there would go ahead and nullify any kind of YouTube uh, argument against YouTube right now. But it is definitely a responsibility that they do have uh, to protect kids because there are so many young kids on the site. Of course, everyone of all ages use, uh, uses YouTube, uh, whether it be an old man finding a woodworking tutorial or whether it be a young person finding uh, some kind of cartoon to watch on a Friday night whatever it may be, everyone is using YouTube right now. And so they have some kind of responsibility to protect those that are using their platform. And I don't know that we're quite at the point where they know how to do that going forward. Of course, YouTube has been in the news recently uh, for, as the article said, putting out some uh, child content uh, that is essentially deranged and demented. There are uh, there are videos and streams of cartoons that are completely and totally changed, and the meaning behind them is changed where they are just... Uh, for instance, there might be a popular cartoon character that eats another one, or there might be a popular cartoon character that shoots another one, stabs another one, kills another one, does something that is just completely and totally wrong. And, um, you know, as somebody who has grown up and as somebody who is an adult, that's that's one thing. But essentially, when it comes down to it, that's very wrong and can definitely mess up somebody's head uh, whenever they're a younger child and in their formative stages because they can kind of think that's right. They can think that's okay. And that's a big, big problem. Like, if I was a parent, I wouldn't want my kids experiencing that because that would impact their their perception of society that would impact how they perceive the world overall you can't have that that's just wrong and so um uh, that's one thing that they're dealing with right now. And on top of that, uh, the data collection kind of debacle going on with Facebook right now is going to echo throughout the entire tech community. It is going to impact YouTube. It will impact their bottom line. It will impact how they function and how they do advertisements going forward and how they create content on the Internet. And so, you know, with all of these different facets going on, the fact that YouTube is illegally collecting data on children, uh, technically, you know, if you want to read it like that, that's a big deal, so they're definitely going to have to deal with that, and um, I certainly hope they do, because as I've been saying, they have a social responsibility to take advantage of of their position and positively influence the world rather than negatively influence children and, uh, and allow advertisers to impact those kids. Uh, so... Uh, and obviously online, I've been reading a lot of forums where there are many, many people that are concerned about this. It will be interesting to see how this does impact the whole um, entertainment community going forward, the online content creation community. I don't know how that's going to impact that in the long run, but it should definitely be an interesting one to look at. 
Moving along to a story from The Verge. This is coming to us from Nick Stat. Uh, Fortnite on iOS makes $15 million in its first three weeks in the App Store. This is just the mobile app, people. Epic has made $15 million in mobile app purchases in less than a month. Now, for those wondering, yes, Fortnite is free. Uh, for those wondering, there are in-game skins you can buy that impact the way that your character looks and the impact of the way that their, uh, their uh, weapons look as well. And there's literally no advantage that's gotten from buying these things. There's literally no, you know, new weapon you get there's no specific kind of shield or armor it's all just cosmetics and they've made again 15 million dollars now, Epic Games' iOS port of Smash Hit Fortnite has earned more than $15 million in its first three weeks on the market, say mobile analytics firm Sensor Tower. According to the company's most recent report, Fortnite on iOS is now out-earning mobile heavyweights like Candy Crush Saga, Clash of Clans, and Pokemon Go on a weekly revenue basis, earning $6.4 million in the last seven days, compared to Candy Crush Saga's $5.8 million. Uh, granted, those games have been out for years, with Candy Crush Saga now a six-year-old mobile game. But each game on that list has remained at the top of the App Store for years, and they've each matured into massive and stable revenue generators, Fortnite, at least for now, is leading the pack. Unlike most mobile games, uh, some of which allow you to pay money to advance progress, Fortnite sells only silly costumes, goofy in-game dance animations, and other cosmetic items, as well as a three-month $9.99 subscription service called the Battle Pass. And while these metrics for Fortnite seem eye-popping, they're not that surprising. The game is a worldwide phenomenon due to a blend of smart timing, Epic's free-to-play model, and the growing and innate popularity of the Battle Royale genre. The genre was popularized by PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, from which Epic bar the core concept of 100 players parachuting onto a deserted island, with the last person standing being the victor, but with Fortnite, a free game, with a more accessible difficulty curve and a more family-friendly and cartoony visual, the genre really took off. Uh, now, here is a uh, graph. If you are watching, you can see this. Obviously, if you're listening to podcast, it essentially shows uh, that Fortnite is skyrocketing, and it shows the income. So, obviously, you have $6.4 million in the last seven days coming from Fortnite, $5.8 million from Candy Crush, $4.1 million from Clash, and $2.7 million from Pokemon Go. Fortnite's mobile version succeeds in part because it is an exact copy of the desktop and console versions of the game, down to letting you keep your progress and cosmetic cash across platforms. That's why players are comfortable spending money on the mobile version of the game. All the in-game skins, emotes, and other cosmetics carry over to PlayStation, Xbox, and PC, and I do think that was a major factor. Uh, PUBG also exists on iOS and Android in a surprisingly stable state. It is made by Chinese gaming and tech giant Tencent, but progress does not carry over to other platforms. According to Sensor Tower, when Epic lifted the invite-only hurdle to... um, for Fortnite, excuse me, there was a uh, there was an invite system implemented earlier, uh, a mechanism the developer had kept in place since the game's March 15th launch. The company saw daily mobile revenue triple from around $600,000 to $1.8 million. Uh, which is an insane amount of money. Sensor Tower estimates Fortnite has been downloaded 11 million times on mobile alone. According to Superdata Research, another games analytics company, uh, Epic made about $126 million through Fortnite in-app purchases in the month of February. Mobile sales will surely boost that figure in the coming months. Uh, So obviously that $126 million number is coming to us uh, via every platform combined. So you've got PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. Uh, Though in addition to that, uh, the fact that we have this level of of fifteen million dollars in the first three weeks in the app store. Let me let me re, let me let me just reiterate: weeks, three weeks. 
That is an insane amount of cash flowing through this app, and I just can't believe that people are willing to put that amount of money into a mobile app. Of course, you know, I understand that people are super into Fortnite. I understand that there are kids that get their mother's credit cards and they just go to town buying every single thing they possibly can in this game. I get that, and I also see how cool these skins are, and there are a lot of factors that go into it, but when it comes down to it, it is the mechanics of the game. It is the fact that Fortnite is just purely fun uh, that keeps these people coming back. Um, Last night, I was streaming on Mixer.com slash Samuel Adams, and I was kind of bored with PUBG. You know, I was having a rough night on it. I got a couple of good kills. I was trying out their new limited-time event, but I wanted something that was a little bit more high-octane, fast-paced, and I just felt like going back to Fortnite for a minute. And I go back into it, I jump back into the game, and it is truly a good game, you know. I'm not going to be playing it much anymore just because it's become so mainstream and because it's become so you know, oversaturated. It's kind of like playing Minecraft now. It's just one of those things where it's like, gosh, really? Uh, but... Uh, with that being said, there is just something special about Fortnite, and I will say uh, that this game was originally supposed to be a kind of base defense uh, wave-style shooter game where you build up this giant structure and then you defend it against oncoming mutants and zombies and stuff like that. Uh, that concept would never have been nearly as successful as this that we have here with uh, Player Un- or um, excuse me, Player Unknown's Fortnite, perhaps. Uh, but with the PvP version in Fortnite, it is just. It is just incredible to see how it has spurred growth on the platform overall. Uh, though the income is insane, I'm sure that will continue. I don't know what the uh, what the longevity of this game looks like because I could see it being the next six months. I could see it being the next five years. I'm not exactly sure how big Fortnite is going to get, but let me tell you right now, uh, it already killed a game by the name of Paragon. It has already taken out uh, the majority of the player base of PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds. Though that is starting to kind of leak back into their origination over there. And essentially, as time goes on, it will be interesting to see how this does end up changing and impacting other games that come out later on down the line. Uh, Also, as a side note, the developers of Lawbreakers over there at Bosky Productions said uh, that the main reason their game failed was because of PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, and I feel like more and more companies are going to be kind of using Fortnite as a scapegoat for why their games aren't doing well. Decky in the chat uh, says, Looking sharp, I was there when it was purely PvE. Lol. Indeed you were, my friend. Indeed you were, as I was as well, as I was as well, but I hope you're doing well this morning, thank you for joining me, and the only reason I'm wearing a sports coat this morning is because I washed this shirt, and it was very, very wrinkly, uh, moving along to the next story, uh, coming to us from The Verge, uh, and Megan, ooh, uh, that's quite the name, Farak Hamanesh, nailed it, this organization wants to help influencers cope with the psychological effects of streaming, uh, take this as a launching a program that will help streamers tackle mental health, tackle mental health, it's a weird Tackle mental health. Streamers tackle mental health. I don't know. It kind of rolls off the tongue. Uh, Anyways, moving along. For many streamers, authenticity isn't just a preference. It is a must. Uh, Many viewers want influencers they can relate to on a personal level. This connection can mean the difference between a single view and a dedicated channel subscription. While it can forge a bond between a streamer and their audience, however, that balance can also tip in the other direction, opening both parties up to a dangerously intimate relationship that does take a toll. And I understand this. That's where Take This wants to come in. The nonprofit's name is a nod to an iconic phrase from Legend of Zelda, and it was founded in 2013 to educate members of the game's industry and its community about better practices around mental health. Now, it will be targeting Twitch and YouTube personalities with its new Ambassadors program. The program, which will roll out in time for PAX West late this summer, aims to teach influencers how best to help viewers who may struggle with their own mental health. Take This co-founder Russ Pitts was previously employed at The Verge's sister site, Polygon. 
I believe they had to mention that for, you know, law purposes. We're not making the streamers into therapists or anything like that, says Executive Director Kate Edwards. It's an important distinction to make for everyone who might see these influencers as acting in a mental health professional capacity. We're just trying to coach them so they know how to handle the topic. By engaging with streamers directly, Edwards explains, Take This seeks to train those influential personalities in a more formal fashion. The program will offer ambassadors a rubric created by clinical psychologists with guidelines on how to speak to viewers on the subject. The goal essentially is to teach ambassadors how to speak about the topic appropriately without triggering people or leading them to self-diagnosis. Uh, I guess you could put it as it's just uh, it's just helping guide how you talk about mental health and with what level of delicacy she says. A games veteran of 20 years, Edwards previously served as the executive director of the International Games Developers Association on the topic of awareness. She cites a 2016 study conducted by the IGDA in which developers were asked to self-report whether or not they dealt with mental health issues on a regular basis. 10% of the respondents said that they did. Uh, but unlike physical ailments, Edward says, mental health is hardly given at the same level of sympathy or attention. If you want, went into work on Monday with a broken leg, everyone fawns over you. Oh, what happened? Are you okay? Can I bring you anything? She says. Uh, but if you walk into work and say, I'm depressed and I don't feel like working today, people don't know what to say. They're just like, oh, well, maybe if you work hard, you'll forget about it. Conversations about mental health, she says, tend to rise and fall with trending topics. We only really talk about mental health if a famous celebrity commits suicide or something. It's all the churn, and then the conversation goes away. The Take This Ambassador program won't just focus on audiences that want to talk about mental health. It'll also invest in the well-being of the streamers themselves. Many streamers they've spoken with want to get critical feedback on their work, Edwards says, but part of that means in, uh, ingesting abusive comments along with helpful notes. Going through feedback is like walking through a minefield, she says. If you're constantly assaulted online and you start deadening yourself to that kind of feedback, or you don't have a good way to cope with it, then you're at risk of losing your empathy. You become stoic about it because you have to be as a survival mechanism. The online influencer path to stardom is still largely uncharted territory, but as with many with any growing industry, excuse me, education and guidelines will be essential as the space professionalizes and solidifies. Edwards points to a profession to professions that deal with live work like radio or news as possible avenues for reference. Pretty much everyone who is an influencer is a pioneer to some degree, Edwards says. Certainly some have been doing it for a couple of years longer than others, but it's such a new form of expression. I thought this was important to include uh, because I wanted people to know about this, uh, you know, form of, of help. I want the people to know about this service and this uh, organization that's helping. Because as somebody who has been creating content online for, you know, about six or seven years now, as somebody who has been doing it very regularly, I have had people reach out to me and say that they are depressed. I have had people reach out to me and say that they, you know, were thankful for my stream because they weren't sure what would have happened if I wasn't streaming. I've had people, they reach out to me and say that I've been such an influencer and such a, uh, you know, an impactful uh, wave of positivity in their lives and things like that. And, uh, you know, I'm flattered first that people think that I'm some kind of, you know, uh, source of positivity and inspiration and, you know, take that for whatever you will. I may or may not be. Uh, I don't think I am. I think I'm just a kid that sits in his room talking about video games and people enjoy it, but uh, that's just my two cents. Um, with that being said, uh, it's very important to be able to talk to streamers and to be able to help them address these kinds of issues because whether we like it or not, uh, if you are online creating content, there are going to be people that find you that need help. There are going to be people that find you that are lonely. There are going to be people that find you that may be at the end of their rope, and they are just looking for something to distract themselves. And depending on what you say whenever they you know, come at you with certain facts, uh, you can definitely be something of, a, uh, of an influencing factor going one way or the other. You could definitely impact somebody's life on a major way, positively or negatively. It just depends on how you are prepared to deal with it. And so um, I always feel like I've dealt with it pretty well. I feel like I've been able to kind of uh, control how people 
uh, react to certain things, how people are feeling, all that good stuff. I've been able to kind of help people whenever I need to help people. Uh, but with that being said, I could use more training on how to um, respond to certain things. I can use more training on how to be a better uh, source of help for those that are dealing with mental health. And so I might try and apply to this ambassador's program and see if I can get something from it just because I feel like it could benefit me and other people in the long run. Uh, though on top of that, uh, I do think that the fact that they are helping streamers as well is a big part of this because as somebody who creates content essentially uh, seven days a week, I'm always doing something with YouTube or Instagram or Twitter. Uh, I mean, I make videos uh, pretty much five days a week and live streams five days a week, sometimes six or seven, depending on what's going on. If it's a, if it's a, uh, what do you call it? A, um, uh, you know, E3 season or if it's any kind of conference season, I will end up going about seven days a week. And so that's a lot of stress. That's something that's very, um, you know, impactful. And it's good to take a break when you can. But as somebody who is, uh, quite frankly, addicted to making content, uh, it is... Uh, an issue that needs to be dealt with and there are people out there that need help mentally uh, with streaming with being an online content creator and the fame and the uh, the kind of um, you know recognition that comes with that kind of thing and so to see uh, that take this is actually launching a program that can help everybody uh, not only deal with people that are coming in that have mental issues but on top of that deal with ones they may develop themselves uh, it's very cool to see very glad to see it happening and I hope that it goes well whenever they do launch later on this summer right before PAX West and I'm sure that I will make a video on this whenever it does go live I'm sure that I will talk about this later on because it is such a cool concept and such a good idea and such a fantastic, you know, way to deal with the issue at hand. Uh, something that's definitely needed. Also, right here, one of my favorite streamers featured on this article, King Gathalion, right here at the top with uh, 8,119 viewers. And this is a long time ago because it has a Wii U ad. Uh, moving along to the next story coming to us from GameSpot. Uh, a little bit of a uh, lighthearted kind of thing. PUBG's desert map is coming to the Xbox One next month. Explore the desert. Uh, this is updated by Alex Newhouse over there at GameSpot. Uh, player 9's Battlegrounds on Xbox One has garnered a large player base since its release, but content-wise, it still only features one map as compared to the two that are on the PC version of the game. Developer PUBG Corp announced today at PAX East that this will change in May when the studio adds Miramar, the desert map that has already been available for PC, uh, excuse me, PC players for a few months. PUBG Corp uh, revealed today that the, 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 the desert map called Miramar, sorry, I keep having this scroll wheel issue. Uh, we'll come to the Xbox One version of the game next month. Right now, only the original map, Arangel? I've never known how to say that. The green map versus the dust map uh, is playable. The studio hasn't provided a specific release date yet for the map, although it promises that more info will be announced soon. And there's the tweet that was revealing it, essentially all that information. As you can see in the video embedded at the top of this article, Miramar is a lot different than the original map. When the original map is green and lunch with play, uh, lots of trees and vegetation to provide cover, Miramar is much more sparse. Players are a lot more exposed when running between buildings. In addition, the map includes three additional vehicles, the minibus, the pickup truck, and the jet ski. Uh, in other PUBG news, the developer is currently working on a third map for the PC version. This is a much smaller arena. I've played it. It's pretty good. A quarter of the size of the other two. As a result, it encourages much quicker confrontations and more aggressive play styles. In fact, it feels a bit more like Fortnite. An early version was recently playable on PC test servers for select players. Uh, so... Uh, you know, obviously, I'm not going to be focusing on the last part of the news here, but the fact that um, PUBG is, why is there a Dark Souls playthrough playing? 
I don't understand that. Um, but the fact that Xbox One is finally getting the dusty desert map is is great. Uh, I think that it's showing about the disparity between the PC version of the game and the Xbox One version of the game as far as updates goes. Um, obviously, we've, we've been able to see that recently with patches that have come out for the game and the fact that PC gets stuff first. But essentially, this shows us truly what the content turnaround is going to be like for Xbox One versus PC. Uh, the question is, can Xbox One even run this well? You know, obviously, there are some pretty beefy PCs that can have some trouble, you know, chugging along, rendering what's going on with the desert map. Uh, though, with the Xbox One, there is a lot less power there, especially with the One and the One S. Uh, the Xbox One X can probably do something a little bit more on the level of a PC, but at the same time, it may or may not be a great factor and an influencer uh, when it comes to will this map run well on the Xbox so we'll see what happens whenever it comes out next month. Uh, I bought an Xbox One last weekend, uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend before last, and I thought about buying PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, but the fact that it looks so much worse on the Xbox, the fact that it is just incomparable as compared to the PC version when it comes down to the control scheme, when it comes down to uh, how the game is looking, everything is better on PC as far as PUBG goes. And so I'm going to stick with Halo on my Xbox, uh, but for those of you that are playing PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds and you want to try out the new map, it will be coming out next month and a free update I would assume uh, to the PUBG that you have on your consoles. Uh, Decky over here says more sand in the chat. Absolutely. Uh, Loki throwing shade sand rather on Xbox. I mean maybe man I'm just saying but the cool thing is that it exists. You know the fact that PUBG can even run on the Xbox one is very impressive in and of itself. Would it be able to do it on the PlayStation 4 and the PS4 Pro? I don't know. The PS4 Pro is a little bit um a little bit less powerful as compared to the Xbox one S or X excuse me. Uh, but if you can run on the Xbox one, I guess you can run on the Xbox or the uh, PlayStation 4. Uh, moving along to the next story coming to us from Rock Paper Shotgun, an outlet that I don't think I've ever featured on an episode of On the Topic of, uh, but still a very major outlet and one worth talking about. Uh, so this story is coming to us from Brendan Caldwell over there at Rock Paper Shotgun. PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds creators sue mobile games companies uh, for copyright infringement and frying pan use. Uh, the makers of PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds are suing a mobile game developer for copyright infringement targeting two games with a plain load of similarities. Rules of Survival and Knives Out were both released in November last year by Chinese developer NetEase and contained features that the plunk batters... Plunk batters? What is a plunk batter? Okay. Uh, the plunk batters claim constitute copyrightable subject matter. PUBG Corp. lists several of these features in their lawsuit, including the shrinking play area, a frying pan, and the playground phrase, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Uh, the lawsuit, as spotted by Ars Technica, contains a long and detailed rundown of all of the elements that make up PUBG. Uh, but it includes the air jump parachuting into the play area, the map of the original map. I always struggle with that name. Uh, reviving fallen teammates and the boost meter and players' ability to run around like an Egypt in the pregame lobby, among other features. According to the lawsuit filed in the Northern District of California, the total look and feel of Battlegrounds constitutes copyrightable subject matter. Uh, among the claims of copying, the most notable is PUBG's assertion that their frying pan has been nicked. Uh, and obviously there's some screenshots here. Uh, and also, uh, Ducky wants to make an announcement to those that are listening and also those that are watching. Uh, WrestleMania was a dud, that's what I've heard as well. One of the beloved aspects... <laughs> 
One of the beloved aspects of creative expression in Battlegrounds is the game's iconic frying pan reads the claim. Previous shooter games did not include the use of a frying pan. The imaginative treatment of a frying pan as a melee weapon is made even more remarkable by its further treatment as armor against shots to the butt of a character. Always good to see the word butt used in legal document. Rules of survival includes a frying pan and a crowbar as melee weapons as pictured, uh, but it also includes a rubber chicken as a melee weapon. The lawsuit notes to which PUBG Corp argues their decision to include a rubber chicken as a melee weapon in ROS was made for the sole purpose of evoking the iconic win winner winner chicken dinner emblem of battlegrounds and on the subject of poultry based food the phrase itself is also used in the defendant's mobile game when you win a game of the 120 person rules of survival on mobile you are awarded with the phrase winner winner chicken dinner uh, there are also allusions to it in netties's advertisements for both rules of survival and knives out uh, the juxtaposition of this lighthearted expression of victory with the survival narrative of the game adds elements of surprise and humor to the work, and the artistic inclusion of this empathetic expression has be emphatic, excuse me, uh, has become uh, particularly loved by the gaming community. It has become nearly synonymous with Battlegrounds to players. Um, so obviously, you know, it goes on talking about all the different kinds of things, all the different kinds of stuff, but essentially when it comes down to it, the reason that PUBG is getting so upset about this is the fact that this is obviously, you know, uh, a game that they are focused on pushing on mobile. They're trying to compete with Fortnite. Uh, they are trying to, uh, they're trying to go ahead and ensure that they will still be one of the pinnacle, uh, you know, factors when it comes to mobile BR games. And to be honest, right now, they aren't. I've seen people streaming Rules of Survival on Facebook. I have seen people that take their time to stream that kind of stuff online. And so with popularity like that, you kind of have to take legal action if there is something that is malicious here. And I do believe that there is. It's very blatant uh, that there is a copyright thing going on here. Uh, because if you look at Rules of Survival, if you look at what's going on with the game, it's very clear that it is certainly a rip of PUBG. That is exactly what is going on here. Obviously, there was this, um, there was a thing with Fortnite whenever it was coming out uh, that PUBG did not like the fact that they were using um, Fortnite Battle Royale. They thought that they had some kind of, you know, hold over the Battle Royale genre and the name Battle Royale, but in fact, they didn't. Uh, and obviously, there were so many disparities between Fortnite and what was going on with PUBG. Uh, that there isn't, there's a similarity, but there isn't one that is identifiable as a copyright infringement. Uh, there are many more uh, weapons and and other kinds of variations that are going on in Fortnite as compared to PUBG. The overall feel of the game is completely different. It's just the idea and the concept of the fact that there is a shrinking force field, that there are guns that you pick up, that you would do drop into a desert map. Uh, it's one of those things where there is kind of this... Uh, this up-in-the-air controversy over whether or not it is a copyright filing, uh, you know, situation or not. And I don't, really don't think it is. Uh, but with Winter Winter Chicken Dinner, you know, it, with Winter Winter Chicken Dinner, that's kind of where I draw the line. I think I think that is that is kind of what defines uh, Fortnite from, from PUBG and what makes uh, Rules of Survival such a kind of infringement on what's going on. Because that is, quite frankly, what I identify as Battle Royale, or Battlegrounds, excuse me. That is what makes PUBG kind of PUBG, is the fact that they have the winner, winner, chicken dinner thing. And so I can kind of understand where that's coming from, and that's my two cents on that. So, you know, will they end up taking this company to court and getting a ton of money? More than likely, but Rules of Survival is still making a ton of money as is. So, with that being said, you know, they probably have money to burn. Uh, but the game probably will not be around for much longer. They, it certainly won't last forever. Uh, but there's the sports drink in Rules of Survival versus the energy drink in Battlegrounds. Can you see a difference? I'm certainly sure that you can. Uh, yes, Ducky says, I'm making a BR game in Mars with Toxic Mars Sandstorm closing in. Hey, I mean, you're on a different world. It's potentially going to be okay. Moving along to VG247, uh, James Billcliffe writes, GTA 5 is the most profitable entertainment product ever. 
Let me let me let me repeat that title one more time. GTA 5 is the most profitable entertainment product ever. After loitering in the top sellers chart of every platform, it's been available on the um let me retry. Uh, after loitering in the top sellers chart for every platform it's been available on for the best part of four and a half years, GTA 5 is now the most profitable entertainment product ever, according to analysts. Raking in about $6 billion since its release in September of 2013, GTA 5 has made more money than any book, film, record, or video game ever released and shows no signs of stopping. Any, Let me go back. More money than any book? film, record, or video game ever released and shows no signs of stopping. The game has sold about 90 million units in its 90 million units in its lifetime, placing it third on all on the all-time highest selling list of video games behind Minecraft, which has sold around 144 million units and Tetris, uh, which when you include all of the random phone ports has sold closer to 170 million. Yeah, GTA 6, hold my beer. Uh, GTA 5 is significantly more expensive to buy those games though, and when you factor in the money spinner that is GTA Online, which added the new San Andreas Super Sports Series car DLC at the end of March. It's really no contest. What a, what a DLC name. Uh, since its launch in 2013, GTA 5 has sold 90 million units, putting its total haul for publisher Take-Two Interactive in the neighborhood of 6 billion Doug Crutes, an analyst for Cohen told Market Watch. Uh, far above the success of blockbuster movies like Star Wars or Gone with the Wind, uh, which both collected more than $3 billion adjusted for inflation, even taking into account DVD and streaming sales, would not put the biggest movie blockbusters in GTA 5's neighborhood, as well as its online service, uh, f- uh, fueling rather its perennial lifespan because of its popularity and content, GTA 5 constantly courts controversy and stays in the news. Just a couple of weeks ago, Lindsay Lohan lost a long-running lawsuit in which she alleged the rock star had used her likeness without permission. We talked about that on an episode of the drop or uh caffeinate excuse me then it was actually featured you can go back and watch that it has a, a thumbnail of gta 5 character uh dude's son giving the bird to Lindsay lohan uh, when it continues to make so much money it's no wonder the gta 6 looks like it's a long long way off and that's one thing i do want to touch on here uh this is huge this is major the fact that this has made more money than any other entertainment product book film uh, TV show, music, anything at all, it has made so much cash. It is mind-boggling how much money this thing has made, but $6 billion since its release is absolutely insane, and that's why we're not going to be getting GTA 6 until the next generation of consoles, because why would you, whenever GTA 5 continues to make money on every platform it's out on, I'm sure that they're still selling copies on PS3 and Xbox 360, uh, and then on top of that, uh, you also have the ports to the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, making a ton of money. The fact that the PC version has mods adds so much life to that game and adds so much life to the community. There is so much going for GTA 5 right now, but for them to stop and just say, hey guys, you know, we're, we're canceling GTA Online, which is raking in tons of money. Uh, we're canceling the, the further development of the game, which is pushing the game to new life, like, it's just... There's no sense in making GTA 6 right now. Uh, But whenever the game does come out for the next generation of consoles, the PlayStation 5, the Xbox 2, if you want to call it that, I hope they don't call it that, um, if you do push that game back to that generation, then you get it set up to where you have it on the PS5 and the whatever the thing is next, and then you can also port it uh, to the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One and have the same exact setup that you had with GTA 5. Replicate those exact same scenarios, and you can have this exact same level of success again Uh, But multiplied because the gaming community itself is multiplying. You see what I mean? You can make it even big or even bigger uh, GTA 5 as a whole by or a GTA as a whole by just replicating exactly what you did with GTA 5 again and just having that exact same scenario set up for the next generation of consoles. 
It is amazing. Sam needs a break to process the numbers. Please stand by. I mean, don't we all, man? Don't we all? $6 billion. $6 billion. I j- if I had that level of money, let me tell you right now, I would quit every job I had. I would drop out of college. I would sit here and I would make videos 24 hours a day. And that's the only thing I would do because I had nothing else to worry about. That is so much money. That is so much money. But regardless, you know, congratulations to the guys over there at Rockstar. Uh, I would I would encourage them to take at least at least two billion of that of that money. Maybe no, maybe maybe less than that. Just make make Red Dead Redemption two great. Um, you know, just make it make it a really good game. I think that you will. I have faith that it's going to be amazing. But please, by all means, just make it really good. Just make it just make it really really good. Uh, but. With that being said, I hope you guys have enjoyed this morning's episode of Caffeinate. If you did and you're watching on YouTube, please drop me a like down below. Share the video with your friends. And also, you can catch it live right here on YouTube.com slash Samuel Adams Media every single weekday morning at 7 o'clock in the morning Eastern Time. I would love to see you there. would love to see you hanging in the chat. If you're listening on Anchor.fm or any other kind of podcast platform that that is distributed to, uh, then by all means, please rate me if you enjoy the show. If you want to reach out to me, you can hit me up on Twitter at PrettyChillGuy and catch up with all of the Mixer Live streams that I do at Mixer.com slash Samuel Adams. You can catch up with all the content that you make. Twitter is my hub of information, and so I would love to see you over there. Uh, But as for right now, I do hope you guys have enjoyed this. I will talk to you very soon, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for sticking with me for this nearly hour-long episode of Caffeinate, and have a great one. Peace.